Flowers, say hello this morning. We're glad to have you here today, worshiping with us here at Crossroads. we will 
we are just worshiping God through song. What do you believe? Just giving God glory this morning, letting him know, I believe you're God, the father, the son, the Holy spirit. I believe that you rose from the dead for us. I believe that you are preparing a place in heaven for me, each one of us. So as we just praise Jesus, right? Where we're at this morning. I want you to come to the altar this morning and just right where you're at and give Jesus praise and glory because he is worthy of all of our praise. We love you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.
Welcome to Crossroads. Uh, we're, we're just thrilled at what God is doing in the church. It's uh, an exciting time. We're just watching God move, and people are coming to, unto Himself, unto, unto the Lord, on a regular basis. And so we're, we're thrilled about that, uh, about what, how God is moving. This morning, I'd like to ask you to f- please pass the friendship folders down the aisle, and uh, we appreciate you you're helping us with that this morning. Just a few announcements. Uh, one is our Connect students on Wednesday night. They will continue to meet over here at the gymnasium. They, uh, they came up to experiment a little bit, and uh, we found that uh, it actually worked pretty good with a little bit more room. So they are meeting over in the gymnasium on Wednesday evenings. Uh, you can get there as early as 5.30. We also, on uh, Sunday mornings, we have 9.30 over in the gymnasium for Connect students. They, they have a, a time for middle and high school students over there as well. So we're thanking God. God is growing that group. New people are coming. God is, uh, teenagers are bringing their friends. Please continue to pray for them. They have an event coming up, March Madness. It's uh, just around the corner here. You'll see the information in the bulletin and on our website. You can even register your child right there, your teenager online right there for, for that event. That's coming up. It's one of those all-night events that go all over the place. I want to encourage you to get involved on one of our life groups. We have on Wednesday night here, in addition to Connect Students, we have our Canopy Kids going on downstairs. And uh, they are just loaded. Kids everywhere, parents coming and going. And then we have a men's group that meets, a women's group, and then we have life groups that are meeting. Life groups meet all over, all over the place, different homes throughout the week. If you'd like to get involved in a life group, please stop by our life group table today and, uh, and sign up there. And then uh, for Easter's, we're preparing for Easter. We're doing something new this year. It's called a helicopter egg drop, all right? So it's, a, it's an Easter egg hunt, but with a helicopter. And the helicopter is going to pull out over the field out here and drop thousands of eggs off over the field. And then after the helicopter lands or whatever, then we'll, uh, then we'll have the kids come down and they can hunt the eggs. So uh, that will be by a, people will have to sign up because that could be really a huge event in our area. And as I've said for the past few weeks, helicopters don't bring people to Jesus. People bring people to Jesus, all right? So what we're, the reason that we're doing that is to give you an opportunity to invite somebody. So if you, uh, you know somebody with a, a child, a, a grade school child or lower, uh, bring them in, get them here for that, and they will have a good time, and they'll be introduced to our church. So we're excited about that opportunity that's coming up April the 8th. And then Rhonda has a few other announcements in regards to Easter here. Okay, the Thursday and Friday before Easter, we are going to be putting on a drama and musical, and we want you to be involved. Um, there are speaking parts for this drama, there are singing parts for the choir, but there's also extras, which are non-speaking parts, which all of you can participate in. Um, I know some of you have thought about doing it over the years, and you're like, I don't want to sing out loud, or I don't want to speak out loud. Well, this could be the year for you, because we want this to be something where our entire church can participate and families can participate as well. There's a lot of different scenes going on. So if you're interested in just getting information or maybe signing up, please see Beth DePietro in the foyer. Um, there's a table out there that she can talk to you and give you more information. We're going to be starting practice in just a couple weeks, but we want all of you to participate. It's a great outreach um, event where you can bring your family and friends and they can really see what Jesus is all about. The other is our women's retreat is going to be coming up. You'll see a flyer or bulletin 
um, in the bulletin today. Our women's retreat is coming up May 5th and 6th. It's going to be at Ogilby Resort this year, and we are really excited about this. Our guest speaker is going to be Monica Brennan. She is from Liberty University. She's head of their women's ministries, and I'm real excited that she's coming up to speak with us. It will be a fun-filled packed weekend of just enjoying fellowshipping, getting to hang out with sisters in Christ and just really, um, really growing and just and all different, different aspects. April 2nd is the deadline for that. And that is Ogilby's deadline for the um, sign up. So you want to go online. It's right there on the uh, flyer, go online, register, but April 2nd is the day. So we'll have more information coming. Hope to see all you ladies on board for that. Thanks. Okay, so we, we just want to encourage you, jump in, get involved. All these activities are there for you to, to meet other people, to develop some friendships, and to get some biblical community going. So that's, that's what we're all trying to do is develop that because our, our, the mission of our church is to bring people into a growing relationship with Jesus. So we're about making disciples who will make disciples. And as we bring people to Christ, we grow, and then we start bringing other people to Christ. So I want to encourage you, jump in, get involved in all those opportunities, and, and be, be praying. Easter is a huge opportunity. Let's not miss this opportunity to, uh, to invite somebody. Um, I, I say, why wait till Easter? Uh, and I shared that with a fellow a few weeks ago, and he was here on Saturday night, went home and invited somebody, came back Sunday morning with his friend. Because uh, much to his surprise, his friend said, yes, I'll be there. So I want to encourage you. Let's, let's be the church. Let's go out and uh, let your friends, your family, your relatives know and say, hey, come and be my guest any given Sunday here. But Easter will also be an extra, extra opportunity as people are looking for God in, in those moments. So this time I'd like to ask our ushers to come forward as we receive our morning offering. Just want to continue to thank you as, uh, as God has blessed the church, uh, blessed through the birthday gift of Jesus offering. You see another thank you note from the Bergs is in your bulletin there this morning. I got another thank you note on email last night from another one of our pastors in Haiti, uh, Pastor Daniel Francois, that we've been uh, supporting there. And, and he is just overwhelmed by the, the generosity of the church here. So uh, it, it's really, really exciting when you hear that those folks are praying and asking God for provision. And then we are able to send, and we're able to send them more than what we expected that we could send. And uh, th- it's just a great thank you. Know, we'll have that out for you next week. But uh, I just want to share, share that with you as God is blessing. And uh, thank you for your faithfulness in giving to the Lord. Let's pray, shall we? Our Father and our God, we come before you, and we thank you for this opportunity to give to your name. Lord, we pray that you will bless, uh, bless each gift and each giver this morning as, uh, as we know that everything that we have is from your hand. And Lord, as you've blessed us, we're thrilled this morning to bless you. Father, be with each one of us as we worship you now. In your name we pray. Amen. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears.
a few weeks, you can go online to our website and you can catch the, the first three weeks of our series. Today, as we continue in Judges chapter 16, we're going to see some, uh, some really big um, continuing flaws in the life of Samson. We're going to look and just see that this was a man who made mistake after mistake. We see God's faithfulness to him, uh, but we're going to see that things just get, the, the, it gets a little bit heated today. It gets a little bit heavier, and we see him just going and stepping up some really bad decisions. And so as you look at your life, you can look back at your life and you can see some bad decisions that you've made, and I want you to understand that God still loves you even though you've made bad decisions. God still works in people's lives even though they made bad decisions. God never encourages us to make bad decisions. But in the midst of your bad decision, God is still there and he's still working. He's still making up. He has a plan. And he's, he still has his will in mind for your life. And so this morning as we continue, I, I want you to pick up um, over here in Judges 16 beginning in verse 1. And, uh, and I'm just going to begin to read here. He says, One day Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. Now, as I start to read this, you know, you come off of chapter 15. Chapter 15 was such a great chapter. Judges 15, he, he kills a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. And, 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 and he comes back before the Lord. He's crying out to the Lord. He says, I, I need water. I, I just killed a thousand men, God. Are you really going to let me die here without water? And so, uh, so God provides water for him in a, in a moment of humility. And then we see him, he says that, uh, that, that he goes out into, uh, for 20 years that he was the, uh, the judge of Israel. Uh, this was before there were kings. So you had Moses led them out, uh, led the children of the Lord out of the, uh, out of, out of the, uh, I'm sorry, out of Egypt. And then the next thing was that after Moses becomes Joshua, and then after Joshua was the time of the judges. Samson was the last major judge. And so here he is for 20 years. Samson is, uh, you know, it says that he, he judged Israel for 20 years. He's now about 40 years old. And so I want you to think with me, here he is, he's, he's Mr. Muscle Man. He is on the front of Sports Illustrated, if you will. This guy had everything. He had the hair, he had, he had the looks, he, he was the, the attraction of any, everywhere that he went. And now what does he do? After all that he's been through, he's made all these poor decisions, and he makes another catastrophic decision. He goes into the town of Gaza. 
And the town of Gaza, that's the same town that you know of today on, on, on the news when you hear Gaza Strip. You hear Gaza. So you think of that. It was 40 miles from where he lived. 40 miles. So, so he didn't just stumble into Gaza. He had to make a decision that he's going to go where he shouldn't go. He's going to go to a place where he shouldn't be going. And not only was it 40 miles away, but Gaza was the capital, the capital of the Philistines. So he's wandering in. He's made his way over deliberately into the capital, and it's as if he's flaunting himself. Uh, this is the strongest man of the world, uh, uh, known of Israel. Everybody knew him from Israel, and the, the, he had all this history. Everybody knew about what he had done, and the ground clutter was out there. And what does he do? He goes into Gaza, and he finds a prostitute, and he stays with her. He spends the night with her. And, you're, and, I'm th- and as I'm reading it, I'm thinking, what is wrong with you, Samson? I mean, God has blessed you. God gave you all this power and all this strength. And what is wrong with you? Why would you go do that? You, he, he was schooled in, in the word of the Lord. He knew that this was the wrong thing to do. And he goes out, and you're like, what is wrong with you, Samson? Verse 2, the people of Gaza were told, Samson is here. So they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. They made no move during the night, uh, during the night saying, at dawn we will kill him. But Samson lay there only until the middle of the night. Then he got up and he took hold of the doors of the city gate. Together with the two posts, he tore them loose, bars and all, and he lifted them to his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Hebron. Uh, so, so he comes out now, and, and he, in, in the middle of the night, he goes out and rips out the gate. This was not no little gate for your backyard, folks. This wasn't something to control your dog, all right? This was the city gate. You're talking a massive amount of weight. He just rips it out. Uh, the, maybe, maybe he heard that they were, that they were con, uh, conspiring to kill him. Maybe he heard all this, but he gets up in the middle of the night after he spends this evening with his prostitute, and he goes out, and, and what do we see? The author here of Judges is telling us that God's power was still upon him. Even though he was making all these catastrophic decisions that were, that were wrong, even though he was in sin, God said, I'm still continuing to work. So we see this over and over that God is still moving, God is still working, and God's plan. God's plan for Israel was not going to be thwarted because Samson was making bad decisions. Uh, let's continue on here. Samson's at it again here, and, uh, and, and he's, he's in this town. And, uh, and as he's there, he's with the prostitute. I just want to share something with you from the book of Proverbs on what Samson did there. Proverbs chapter 5 says this, For the lips of an immoral woman drip honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lay hold of her. Lest you ponder her path of life, her ways are always unstable. You do not know them. Uh, Samson was uh, making some catastrophic decisions for his life and not taking God's advice, God's word, God's teaching into, into recognition here. He goes in and he, he's, he's enticed into extreme danger. Uh, he goes through this, this pattern. We, we see this pattern over and over. He had a reckless behavior. Uh, he has a sexual addiction. Now he's sleeping with a prostitute. Uh, he has the strength of a trap. Look at, look at the trap that uh, be, before it was, uh, you know, in, in the riddle we saw. And, uh, and they figured out the riddle. Now it's like these men are mounting up. 
Uh, he killed a thousand that came after him. But the trap is strong now. He goes out in the, in, in this, the, the, into the capital of the Philistines, and they're coming after him. All greater than they were in the past few chapters. So, so things are getting harder and harder and harder for Samson. And, uh, and he continues to make some, some really wild decisions. Samson's heart here. Here's what was going on. Samson's heart used God's blessing as a reason to forget God. Now, I know that that doesn't make any sense, does it? God has blessed you, and you're going to forget him. But this is what the children of Israel did over and over. As a nation, the Israelites, they would follow God. He would bless them. And in blessing, they would forget their need for him. They would go through ritual worship, and their hearts was not engaged. And they would just slowly taper on out of this, this whole engagement, and they lost their relationship with God. They, they let it grow cold. And God would have to do something in their life. And he would, he would bring uh, quite often uh, oppression from other countries to them, and they would come back. So here's Samson. Samson is going through this in his own personal life. And he's looking at it, and his heart is, is, is growing cold because God is blessed. And he's, he's just so comfortable because he can make any decision he wants, and God is still there. And so he, he's taking advantage of the situation. Uh, John Flavel, uh, one of the Puritans, he said this, Outward gains are ordinarily attended with inward losses. Outward gains, all right, we see people that are successful. We see them that, that are famous, and we see the, the great things that they've done. Many times, he's not saying all the time, but he says ordinarily, on a regular basis, they're attended with loss on the inside. There's a lot of character issues that are lost. You, you look at some of the most famous people in our land, what do you see? You see a lot of character issues, don't you? You see that they've made some great successes, but some incredible character issues where they have, they have been weakened. Uh, they, they have made decisions that, uh, because maybe they've had power. And maybe when you have power, it's just too hard to handle that power and to make the right decisions all the time. And so we see that uh, this happening in Samson's life. Continue on in, in Judges 16.4. <clears throat> Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. Now think with me about this. He, he now, he, he has this whole issue with the prostitute. That's kind of like one and done. He's out of there. And now he comes over here and he has fallen in love with this woman in the valley of Sorek. Her name is Delilah. And as, as, he is, as he is courting Delilah, it is like a, an affair, if you will. Uh, think of it like a national affair. It got national attention. Everybody's saying, you know, because uh, I've read through this before. I've looked at verse 4 and right into verse 5, and I just got right to the chase. And, and what I didn't understand was that Delilah and Samson had a relationship. Uh, this was an ongoing thing. It was, uh, it, it, he, he didn't marry her. It was an ongoing affair. And so he goes out and he has this affair and he goes there every day, every day, every day. And, and the word gets out. And it'd be like, you know, if you, if you turned on one of those shows after the news, you know, Hollywood something or other, you know. And, uh, and you see all about the people of Hollywood. You know, this guy is married and now next week he's not. And you hear all that stuff that happens from our stars that we like to worship, right? It, it's crazy how we, we follow these people, but they can't even figure some of the basic parts of life out. And so, so that's what Samson was like. The word was out. It was a national attention that here, Samson, Samson is a, uh, you know, Samson and Delilah are, are together. He's the man. I mean, he's got every muscle. He's got the hair. He's got it all. He's got power. He's got everything that this woman wants and that any woman would want. 
And so he's having this affair. And so it says here that sometime later he fell in love. He loved this woman. Uh, verse 5, the rulers of the Philistines went to him, uh, went to her and said, so with that national attention, the rulers of the Philistines come to her. See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how he can, o- and how we can overpower him so that we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. Uh, you know, sometimes we, if you've known the story of Samson and Delilah, you give Delilah a pretty bad rap, don't you? Delilah betrayed him. Why would, why would she betray him? Well, let me tell you why she would betray him. 1,100 shekels of silver. Each one of them, there's five guys, so you do the math. 1,100 times five is what? 5,500 shekels of silver. Now, don't equate that to 5,500 coins. This was a, a much higher measurement of silver. I, I read one commentary that said that it would be as high as $15 million today. Hmm. You know why she, she betrayed him? Because she's going to get $15 million. And now you start to take that in. You start to, you start to say, oh, now I'm starting to see the picture here. Th- this was a big-time deal. Her life would be forever changed. It wouldn't matter what happens. You know, she, she can betray this guy because for $15 million, she did it. Uh, so ver, number, uh, verse 6, so Delilah says to Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. She doesn't even hide it from him. I, I, I'm thinking, what, Samson, where's your head? What are you thinking about here, Samson? Uh, she is coming to you. So you're having this, this woman. You're having this affair with this woman. And this is an ongoing thing. And, you're, and now she comes to you one day and she says, Tell me, Samson, how can we tie you up and kill you? What will it be? What, what's going to stop your strength so that, we can, so that we can get one on you? She's a Philistine. And, and, and what, why is he thinking that I'm going to be able to overcome this? Look at verse 7. Samson answered her, If anyone ties me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, uh, I'll become as weak as any other man. So he starts playing the game again, just like back with the riddle, right? Remember the, uh, the, the woman at Timnah? He goes over there and he plays the game with the riddle. So he starts here with her and he says, All right, I'm, I think I can work my way out of this because yeah, we've got a good thing going on here. So I might as well keep the good thing going on, but, you know, see if I can navigate this. Uh, if anyone ties me with seven fresh bowstrings that, I have not, that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as the other man. Then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she, dry, and she tied, tied him with them. And with, with, uh, with men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the bowstring as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. So this is strike number one. Now think about this. She, she asked point blank, and so he says, all right, I don't want her to really know. So let, let's start with seven bowstrings. And she gets him, has a nice evening with him, calms him down, gets him to sleep. And then all of a sudden, Samson, they're here. They're going to take you. He gets up, and and he's he's broken loose. Um, Verse 10, then Delilah said to Samson. Now, this is an amazing thought here. He, He was betrayed once already. She just betrayed him. Now, I want you to think. Put yourself in Samson's position. You're in a relationship. 
you were betrayed once. And then Delilah says to Samson, the discussion continues. Why was there even a continuation of the discussion? Samson, why did you stay in, in harm's way? Why did, you, why did you continue to live there? And a few thoughts here. Number one, Samson was hooked on danger. He loved danger. He could kill a lion with his bare hands. He killed a thousand men with his bare hands. He, he loved it. He was the hero. So he was hooked on danger. And the other thing was that he was in denial. Delilah was uh, very fair, very fair to look at. It. She, was, uh, she was likely half his age. Uh, th- this was the talk of the country, Samson and Delilah. And so he's in denial of her motives. He doesn't know that there's $15 million at stake in the background. All he knows is, what's, what's she up to? So Samson and Delilah are an extreme case of a relationship that uses one another rather than serving one another. I, it, it really is. It's, it's an extreme case. They, Samson used Delilah for what he wanted. And Delilah used Samson to try to get what she wanted. You see, it all started out all happy-go-lucky, and then he was continuing his poor decisions, his sin, and she was continuing to try and get the money. It's, it's, it's a bad setup. Uh, she says, uh, verse 10, Then Delilah said to Samson, You have made a fool of me. You lied to me. Come now, tell me how you can be tied. He said, if, uh, if anyone ties me securely with new ropes that have never been used, I'll be as weak as any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and, t- and tied him with them. Then with the men hidden in the room again, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the ropes off of his arms as if they were threads. Verse 13, Delilah then said to Samson, Until now you have been making a fool of me and lying to me. Tell me how that you can be tied. He replied. So he goes at it. This is the third strike. Samson obviously didn't know enough about baseball because he goes for a fourth strike, right? He goes to the third strike here. He says, says, uh, tell me how you can be tied. He replied, if you weave the seven braids of my hair into the fabric on the loom and tighten it with a pin, I'll become as weak as any other man. He had likely about five pounds of hair on his head. It had never been cut. He's 40 years old. This hair has never been cut. Uh, it's roughly about five pounds of hair. He's the strongest man. Good thing he could carry it, right? Uh, he, he has all this hair, and she says, go ahead and weave it. He tells her, go ahead and weave it into there. And he had to know she was going to do it. Put the pin in there and, and make sure that it's secured. You know, it, it'd be like, uh, I remember when Troy Polamalu first started to play for the Steelers. I, I thought, you know, all they have to do is pull his hair, right? He had that hair everywhere. I thought all they had to do is pull that hair and he's going down. Uh, it, it's a similar type of thing. Here he is, got all this hair and, you know, just tie it up in the loom and, uh, and I'll, I, it will take away my strength. So while he was sleeping, Delilah took the seven braids of his head, wove them into the fabric, and tightened it with a pin. Again, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and pulled up the pin and the loom with the fabric. Verse 15. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you have made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. Doesn't this sound familiar to what happened with the woman at Timnah? Oh, you don't love me. 
happy wife, happy life, right? You know that whole scenario? He just got to keep her happy. Now look what happens here. Verse 16. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was tired to death. Now, folks, I want to let you know there is not a spiritual gift of nagging, all right? That is not the spiritual gift, all right? But with her nagging, we could, we could say it like this. She nagged him to death. She just kept nagging and nagging. She kept pressuring him, pursuing him, uh, pressuring him with words. Verse 17, so he told her everything. No razor has ever been on my head, has ever been used on my head, because I have been a Nazarite set apart to God since birth. See, the Philistines, they didn't know what a Nazarite was. This was the, the Israeli culture. This was something from the, for those that were worshiping the true and living God. The Philistines had their own gods, and they were worshiping their own gods. So, so as they come into this time of worship here, uh, I'm sorry, as they come into this, this moment of religious exchange, they don't understand what a Nazarite vow is. So he has to explain to her, hey, listen, my life, I was consecrated unto the Lord. And there were three things that I, that I had to do. One was not to, not to drink. The other was uh, not to touch a dead, dead, anything dead, anything unclean. And the last was my hair. And so here he is. He tells her about the hair. No razor's ever been set apart. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as any other man. Verse 18, when Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she, went, uh, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back once more, he has told me everything. I was thinking, you know, it would be like in a modern day, what would Delilah would be doing? She would have went into the bathroom and texted these guys, you know? She would have been texting, hey, come on back. I want that 15 million after all, okay? And so she goes in and she gets the word out to the other guys. And then, so they come back. Now look what it says. Come back once more, he's told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with silver in their hands. They were ready. They were ready to take him. Verse 19, having put him to sleep on her lap, she called a man to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him. And his strength left him. They shave his hair. He had a Nazarite vow. He's been breaking it all along. He's been breaking rule number one was don't, don't, don't drink of the vine. Don't get drunk. And so he throws a party for his for his first wedding. Uh, he, he goes out there and uh, he touches the dead animal. He kills a lion. And after, if he would have had to kill a lion, he would have had to go for ceremonial cleansing. Instead of going out for ceremonial cleansing, he tells nobody, don't tell him, you know, nobody will know. He, see, he's making poor decisions in private all the time. So the last thing that was left to his vow was this hair. And so he comes to her and he tells her, listen, here's my secret. It's the hair. Verse 20, then she called Samson. Uh, the, the Philistines are upon you. He woke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. He says, I'll go out like I did all the time. Can I share this with you? The reason that Samson shared the secret about the hair was that Samson didn't truly believe that his power was in the vow or in the hair. Why would he have told her? Why would he have said, yeah, it's in my hair? I, yeah, yeah, why, I, yeah, you've just done this three times to me. I'm really going to trust you one more time, right? Why would he go do that? Because he didn't truly believe it. 
He didn't really believe it. And then it continues on. The, set, the next part of that verse says, but he did not know that the Lord had left him. He did not know that the Lord had left him. Now, now consider this with me. What a sad phrase in all of the Bible. The saddest phrase in the whole Bible, that the Lord had left him. Here's Samson. He, God has done great things. It, it, we keep seeing that the power of the Lord came upon him. The power of the Lord came upon him. The power of the Lord came upon him. But now, here's Samson, and, and, and he, he kept testing it. He kept taunting the Lord, if you will. He kept taking his vow lightly. He broke his vow over and over and over again. He, he touched the unclean things all the time. He, he used unclean things to kill people. And now here he is, and he's wondering, where'd my strength go? Because he didn't really believe that cutting his hair would have lost his strength. He took the Nazarite vow so lightly. God, here's what happened here. God left Samson to his own power. God leaves Samson come to his own power. And there are times in our life that God leaves you to your own power. You're going to struggle with God and tell, tell you know, I, I, it's because I've done this or because I've done that, uh, that this is happening. So every now and then that God has to just say, okay, you think you got this under control? I'll show you. Let me show you how much you have it really under control. And God has done that. God has done that here with Samson. He lets him find out how weak he really is. He says, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. He did not know that the Lord had left him. And here's what's even worse about that. Not only is it that the Lord didn't perform and give him his power, but that he did not know. He was in such a state of sin. He was in such a state of overcoming this, these bad decisions and a way of life that he couldn't even see it for himself that the Lord was not in this. Wow. You see, he took advantage of all the great things that God had done. He saw God do great and mighty things. He had a gift of the Spirit, but not the fruit of the Spirit. The Apostle Paul talks about gifts of the Spirit, and the gifts of the Spirit are some are pastors, some are apostles, and, and things like that to help us function in the church. Uh, so God will equip us to function to serve him. And so what did God do for Samson? He equipped Samson to function to serve the Lord. But what he didn't have was the fruit of the Spirit. And you get the fruit of the Spirit from a relationship with the Lord. So he had a great gift. Maybe you've seen before and you'll hear different things uh, in our land. Somebody is a great orator. Maybe they were a great pastor and they they had a really large following. Then all of a sudden you hear that they've uh, fallen into sin because things on the inside weren't right. They had a great gift. Oh, yeah, everybody could give them great accolades because they could speak, because they could open the word, and they could, they could really, really be used by God. And God gave them a gift, and they used their gift. But what they did was on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, they got cold. And their love grew cold, and they didn't have the fruit of the Spirit. They didn't have God transforming their life. There was no love, joy, peace, gentleness, long-suffering. Those things weren't evident. And that's what happened in the life of Samson. Samson had been gifted by God with great strength, but he didn't have a connection. He wasn't growing in his faith. He, him, him and the Lord weren't, weren't uh, he wasn't in relationship. 
And uh, Samson's been breaking that vow all along. And I'll put that vow up there just real quick so you can review that. There were three things. Number one, don't get drunk. It was uh, don't, don't drink of the vine. And so what's he do? He goes out and drinks of the vine. He gets drunk. Uh, number two was don't touch a dead body. In other words, they weren't allowed to be around anything unclean. He touches the dead body. And finally here, he cuts his hair. So the last part of the vow, it was broken. Samson did not really believe that his hair or his vow was the source of his strength. He had come to believe that his strength was simply his. He came to believe that his strength was simply his, and no matter what he did, no matter how he lived, that God would always be there, that God would always perform in the way that, that would bail him out. The Philistines thought, thought this. Let me, let me share this element here about the Philistines. When they kept coming and said, tell us his, how, how does he have his power? Tell us how this is. They were asking for something like, what's the magic in Samson? Tell us about the magic. How is the potion? What is it that he drinks every night? How does he work out? What does he do? And they wanted the formula. And they said, give us the formula. Because, you know, in a potion, if it's three pinches of this and two pinches of that, and you mix it all up and you cook it just enough time, right? And then you'll have what you want. So here's Samson, and he's coming. The Philistines are pressing on, and they want to find out. This man has plagued us for 20 years. He's been the judge over there in Israel. He was the giant of Israel, if you will. And now here we are, the Philistines. And they're asking for what's the magic. They want to know what do we put together to get this result. And Samson had his own degree of magic, so he thought. Samson was coming along and saying, well, you know what, I have this vow. As long as, well, I don't even have to do anything anymore because all that happens is all the time. And, and here's what happens sometimes in our life today, folks. We want magic. We want, the, we want the Christian magic. We want it to be if you go to church, if you read your Bible, and you give your money in the plate, and you tell three people about Jesus this week, that everything will be working just fine. And it's not the way it works. And it takes us back because many of us go into life like that and we say, well, why shouldn't I go to church and put money in a plate and do all these things? No, no, no. I'm not telling you not to do those things. What I'm sharing with you is there is no magic. If you do all this, then God's power will always be there. There, there is a relationship of God's power and your heart. You see, all those things that I just talked about are outward conformity. Anybody can come to church and not worship. Anybody can throw money in a plate and not worship. Anybody can just tell people out there and not worship. You can, you can do manufactured things. You can go through rituals. You can, you can go through the motions of, okay, yeah, this is the right thing to do, and I, I just march to the right drumbeat. God wants your heart. You see, in Matthew 28, when Jesus was leaving, the last words he said was to go out and make disciples, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and I am with you always. That word, I am with you always, is a Semitic word. Uh, it's a Semitic phrase, and what, what, it, what it is saying here is relationship. The, the power of God, over in Acts 1.8, the power of God is related to a relationship with God. If your heart is in touch with God's heart, that, you see, that's where the power is. It comes from there, but it's not because of something that you've done. It's because God is still in charge. 
God is still powerful and God still works and God still is going to do what he wants to do in your life. And there are times that you'll be begging him to do something and he says no. There'll be times that you, that you didn't ask him to do anything and he says yes. And this is what I don't understand and I think that we'll never understand it because he's God and we're not. And when we come to that to understand that he's God and I'm not, and so I come here today and I'm, I'm trying to connect with God, but this, this thing over here that I thought should happen, it didn't happen. And then over here, I've abandoned God in some areas, and, and all of a sudden, God shows up over there. We don't, we can't, we'll never totally understand it. But here's what I'm trying to share. There is no magic to this thing. It is not, if you read your Bible, then God will bless. I wish it were. I wish it were that easy, folks. Then we could all just go out, and we could just be mimicking and doing what everybody else is doing. Now, I want to encourage you to read your Bible every day because without that, you're not going to get to know him. You're not going to get to know him apart from the body of Christ. These things are all so important. But it is not press this button and God will dispense his blessing. Uh, You see, when we understand a little bit about, about his power, just a few thoughts in closing on the power of God here. Divine power is not acquired externally. You cannot get the power of God from something external. It comes from this heart relationship. It's not go to church. It's not all these things, press these buttons. Um, Divine power cannot be easily lost. When the power of God is upon you, it's not lost because you've made, uh, made some catastrophic bad decisions like Samson did. It's, it is not easily lost because God's love is, is, is there. He, he loves you unconditionally. And so when we start to understand his unconditional love, but you see, there's a strange thing. There, there, there's a relationship of grace and our sin. And grace was never meant to be an excuse to sin. It never was. But, it is, it is, but with you know, my sin, I need the grace of God. So with, with his grace, you sin, you stumble, you fall. And God says, my grace is there. Humble yourself, I'll pick you back up. That's what grace is. And it's always there for us. But sometimes people think that, okay, grace means I can do whatever I want to do. Well, no. That's nowhere in the Bible. God doesn't say anything about that in the Bible, that you can just take grace and flaunt it. No, no, it's there because we need it in our hour of need. So the power of God cannot be lost. And it is unpredictable in a sense that it does not rely on a particular technique. There's no particular technique that will, that will help us find the power of God. The power of God relationship. We saw that Samson's life over and over, he abandoned the relationship with God. And he chose many times the, the, the blessings of, of the favor of a woman versus the favor of God. And how many times do we go out and navigate in our world and we say, I'm going to choose the favor of what somebody else thinks of me versus what God thinks of me? Let's bow in prayer. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, I'd like to invite you to take your relationship with God and truly develop it. What a, uh, what a hard lesson here for Samson. The power of the Lord left him. God said, I'm not going to do it this time. Next week, we're going to finish up Samson. We'll see that God's power was there once again. 
But I want to share with you this morning as we've just looked at a whole lot of scripture from Judges chapter 16. That God is a God of love. He's also a God of justice. He's a God of mercy and he's a God of power. May I invite you to a relationship with God today. May I invite you to take that relationship and and just grow that and let the power of God begin to flow in your life. Father God, I pray you'll be with each person here, Lord, as we've just looked at your great words, Lord, teaching great history, Lord, from, from the Old Testament, from the life of Samson. God, I pray that you will inspire us to go out and, and to seek you in all of our ways, to keep that relationship flowing, Lord, to develop worship in our life, to develop this relationship with the God Almighty. Thank you that you are personable. Thank you that you, are, that you care about us, that you have connected with us, Lord, and want us to be your followers. I ask that you'll be with each person as we respond to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand as we sing our closing song. If you'd like to come and kneel and pray this morning, feel free to do so. Let's worship the Lord as we close our service. Say hey.